0: The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Good morning and welcome to this lovely rainy winter's day. Oh, sorry, it's summer in Johannesburg. But anyway, um, it feels like winter out there. What a wonderful week we've been having with all manner of havoc ensuing on multiple levels. And um the big, big, big news, which is something that I'm gonna discuss at length in the Tech Talk Cafe segment around about eleven twenty, is the Competition Commission's findings on data pricing and their more exciting, their recommendations on how this is going to be fixed. In the South African context, and let me tell you unfortunately, this is not a good news story everybody 's so excited about the fact that data has finally fallen and it must fall and Well, you stay tuned. Call your friends, neighbors, and everyone together. Let's explore what's happening around data, mobile networks, and what the Competition Commission has actually done and set in motion over the next little while. At 11.20 today, it should be really, really informative. I've got some fairly strong uh, opinions on this whole thing, and let's see where this whole thing goes. And another major event happened last night. Now, this is not the travel show, but... It affects us all, and it's a huge – it has huge ramifications across the business landscape, the travel landscape, the tech landscape, in fact. In fact, any landscape in South Africa. SAA is finally done for. It's going into business rescue as we speak. Um, the government has finally – pulled the plug and said enough is enough, we cannot continue just feeding this machine that never ever delivers anything other than losses and and havoc and all sorts of nonsense and unfortunately poor service. So in a super competitive world where there are so many options available to all of us, this relic called SAA, which is really sad, one of the top airlines in Africa for so many years and uh, it's now been brought to its knees. So that happened as of yesterday, and uh, who knows where that is. Well, I've got some opinions of where it's going, but as I said, not the travel show, but uh, certainly going to have a huge impact across the entire market. One of the more immediate impacts is that uh, there will be good deals on SA flying down to Cape Town. The problem is how do you uh, trust that they'll fly back? You never know what's going to happen. So. Rebuilding trust, rebuilding certainty and rebuilding an airline of this nature is a mammoth task and um, it'll be very interesting to see how this unravels over the next couple of months but I don't believe it's a good news story I believe it's, well it's good news for the economy we're stopping to bleed in certain things the greater impact is that Everybody, all the other SOEs, the unions who precipitated this, they deny it, but it wasn't a matter of – it was no one thing that brought SA to this point, and the unions were certainly part of it, and their overall impact on the South African um, lands- labor landscape has not been particularly good. And um, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Unfortunately, after the strike, there was no way forward. People stopped booking their tickets. Their forward book or their forward uh, income just completely and utterly dried up. And who wouldn't? I mean, I asked a simple question in the office right here at Chai FM. Who in the room would book an SAA ticket for next June for one of their expensive overseas holidays? And the looks were, are you mad? Why would I do such a silly thing? Well, exactly. There's my point. So really sad day, but a glad day. Finally, um, you know, uh, a state-owned enterprise is being dealt with in the appropriate way. So let's see where all that goes. And uh, even to add to that havoc over the weekend, I mean, it's not a sports show either, but Cricket South Africa is quietly falling apart from being one of the top-run sort of codes in the country where people used to flock to... To wondrous to watch the cricket You couldn't drive in the area um, It was like a major event It is really sad to watch Every now and then I glance at TV And there's like three people in the stands And no one's watching cricket Actually no one gives a damn Which is sad and unfortunate So that's going to all change in the nearest future But again maybe it takes a good crisis To bring about fundamental change And boy oh boy do we need fundamental change On many levels In our wonderful uh, sort of rather damp country at the moment so on that note i'll be back with proper tech news straight off to this this is tech talk with stephen ambrose on 101.9 high fm well welcome back and now as i said moving on to the real tech news of the day bolt now a lot of people have not heard of bolt they've done a reasonable job of you know getting their name out there but they used to be called taxify <clears throat> and Taxify was the competition to Uber in South Africa. And they've been going for quite a while and they've expanded into a lot more, um, towns, cities. They were in all the major cities. And I've used them. And in fact, most you'll often see that when you hop into an Uber, they've got two phones connected to the uh, chargers. And the reason is the one is for Uber and the one's for Taxify or Bolt. Well, Bolt have launched food delivery in competition to Uber in South Africa. And the reason they've done this for lots of – well, there are a couple of reasons they've done this. The main one is that they've expanded their footprint in South Africa. They're now serving 34 secondary towns and cities in all nine provinces across the 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 country. And they are going to launch a food takeaway delivery service in the coming months. And it's a good thing. Not that I'm terribly – I've used – um, Uber Eats quite a lot, and I'm sure a lot of you out there have used it. And generally, I found the service to be pretty good, sometimes a little variable, um, but it it has. And and the costs are not exactly the lowest on the market. But it has added another sort of, you know, if you really want to Netflix and chill and just sit at home and not bother about getting takeaways, it's expanded the horizon of takeaways that Mr. Delivery used to do uh, in quite a big way. And it certainly bring brought a little bit of competition to the market. So Bolt are going to add to our choices. They're going to increase the number of people out there offering some um food takeaway services. And I think it's a great thing. What's interesting is, I, I actually clean forgot about this, but Bolt launched in South Africa in 2016. So it's only three years that it has gone so big. And in truth, the whole, you know, when Uber started and when it took hold in countries like South Africa, it transformed the way that we did so many things. I mean... You need to go to any one of our sort of restaurant streets anywhere in the country and you'll just notice a hive of Toyota Corollas, which is the Uber car or the Bolt car of choice, around every single restaurant in the evenings, picking up, dropping off. It just changes the way that people transport themselves, how they entertain. I mean, if you're going out for a lovely evening at a restaurant and a bottle of wine, you certainly don't want to take a chance of driving home. In comes Uber. And it's just transform the way that people travel around South Africa, how people travel around the world. You land pretty much anywhere, pull out your phone, order an Uber, and off you go. Not that the whole system's been without challenges. I actually read this week in another rather epic uh, decision, the license for Uber in London has been withdrawn I'm sure they're going to fight that. But at the moment, uh, for all sorts of reasons, the City of London has withdrawn Uber's license. So if you're traveling to London over the next little while, in fact, what I will do, uh, there are a couple of alternatives. You can even use the standard black cabs. There's an app for them as well. So look for a couple of al- alternatives if you're traveling to London because Uber may be problematic. They're still working as we speak, but who knows what's happening next. But I think that the growth of competitive... Um, Platforms in the country is a good thing. So watch out for bolt foods and you know, just don't bolt it down, but that's a, a bad pun. But anyway, the fact is we're getting more competition in the food delivery market and expect to see it coming in the next little while. And, um, in other news, and this is a little bit sort of industry late related. It's a little bit less direct in your face consumer stuff, yet it has a huge impact on pretty much everything that you and I do in our daily lives. Amazon Web Services have become a massive factor in global business everywhere in the world. And a little-known fact is that one of the major development sites for Amazon Web Services is in Cape Town. In fact, any of my listeners down there will know that there's an Amazon Web Services or an Amazon building on the foreshore in Cape Town, which is really quite interesting. Um, from the point of view that it's always been there. They've always had a big development center in South Africa, and they find that most of the services that they're offering um, have been developed or partly developed within the South African context, which is brilliant. But they had their recent developer conference, and they announced some really interesting new services that are coming to market very, very, very soon. One of them is something called Amazon Bracket. Now, What that is, is Amazon Web Services new quantum computing as a service offering. And again, just to give a little bit of context without getting into too much detail, Amazon Web Services was originally created to service the Amazon business, the business where they bought and sold and traded in stuff and delivered those parcels all around the world, not so much to South Africa, but pretty much all over the world. And Amazon has become one of the dominant retailers, call them e-tailers, whatever you want. They're a dominant retailer in the world. They set their own standards. And they fundamentally changed the way that we all shop. But their, their back-end systems, their tech as such, has now developed into one of the largest cloud service providers in the world. And so many people, so many small businesses in South Africa, so many huge businesses in South Africa are using them as their server of choice. If you've got a, a Pastel partner or a Pastel premier set up, you can run it on an Amazon web service. All you need is an internet connection and away you go. Well, Amazon now are offering Bracket or will be shortly offering Bracket as their new quantum computing as a service offering. You may remember I've spoken about IBM's quantum computing service and yet it's still very experimental. It's early days because it completely changes the way that you interact with a computer. Right now, quantum services are good for certain things and not for other things. But Microsoft... Um, IBM, Amazon are all exploring, um, quantum services and we're going to see quantum services coming more and more to computers near you. And here, Amazon have simply taken it to everybody using their AWS platform. And at the reInvent conference, they, they confirmed that Amazon services are not mainstream today, but that time is coming and it's coming really, really soon. So within, they predict within forty or fifty years so many applications will be com- powered using services that run on computer com- computer uh, quantum computers so it 's beginning it 's starting it 's a whole new way of computing and it 's absolutely fascinating how quickly this has grown uh, before we break for our next ad break. I just want to mention that um, they 've also got a new service for business, which is quite interesting. You may have heard of alexa alexa is amazon 's um, Voice activated, activated assistant. You can get it on multiple speakers. It's actually incredibly useful. I've even got it on my Fitbit watch. I can call up Alexa services on my Fitbit watch on my, on the Versa 2 on my wrist. Well, what they've done using AI and using all sorts of machine learning, they've announced a uh, new service for businesses, which is called um, oh, I've gone blank here, but anyway, it's it's a new. It's called Kendra, so they've announced uh, uh, Kendra, which is essentially a voice and voice search service for um, for businesses and enterprises. So it has the uh, the ability to understand natural language questions, just like Alexa. You can ask it in a very conversational way to do a search for you, and it can be applied to your business platform across the entire thing. So if you You know, right now you're looking for a document in your business and you want to say, "Mm, well, I can't remember the name. You can actually say, hey, Kendra, find me that document I did about two days ago using regarding X, Y, Z and address to Y. And boof, it will go off and do the whole thing. So Amazon are doing some absolutely amazing things uh, around Amazon Web Services and expect to see more and more of that as we go along. Now, before I continue, we have a quick break and then we'll be talking all about um, the big competition commission decision of the week. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And this is my regular Tech Talk Cafe slot where I normally try to get some interesting inter- interviews with smart people and interesting people across the tech landscape and even a little on the fringes of the tech landscape. But come closing in on the end of the year, it's becoming increasingly difficult to pin people down and get them to talk, you know, on the radio. But we will pick this up, hopefully in the new year, in quite a big way. I've got some really interesting people lined up. Today, what I'd like to discuss and like to unpack is the whole issue around the the recent competition commission decision which recent as of the i think it was tuesday monday tuesday I forget the exact date anymore but on that day the competition commission completed and issued the final report the draft of which came out in april last uh, of of this year on the data market inquiry that they had been working on and it was without question one of the most um I'm a little lost for words to try to describe how fundamentally important this report was to an industry that is absolutely crucial to the development of the country. What was fascinating is at the press conference, there were two, Stella Ngabindi – oh, God, I forget her her surname – our Minister of Telecommunications. She uh, was there along with um, Mr. Patel from – the economics cluster, another minister. And they went to great lengths to explain that it's very important to the country to have data available to all citizens as an actual human right. And in many ways the the, the access to data is a human right. There's no question that along with electricity, along with water, access to data in a modern economy where it's entirely data driven is absolutely critical to the to the effective Governance, administration, running of your personal lives. So many people take it totally for granted. You pick up your phone in the morning, it's full of information, emails, WhatsApps, pictures, you Facebooks, responses, you name it, news of the day, the weather, the traffic, you name it, and it's only possible through the application of Data. In fact, if your phone is not connected to data, it becomes a pretty useless tool on which you can make the odd phone call and the odd, um, you know, the odd um, SMS message. And I mean that takes us back to the early '90s, where really it was simply a replacement for that phone that used to sit somewhere in the house and a convenient one because there were no more cords. So it was cut the cord, use your mobile, Um, and. Yet, over the last 10 to 15 years, the mobile phone and mobile communications has developed into the web that completely connects the world. It's the way, I mean, traveling without maps would not even be something that most people would uh, would undertake. Traveling around Joburg has become insanely easy, considering the fact that you can never be lost. You pick up your phone, you know where you are, you know what traffic's on the road, you know if there's an accident coming up. It's... Absolutely fundamental to the operation of any modern society. And it has been one of the greatest success stories globally. It has risen to the point where it's bigger than banking in many cases. It is available ubiquitously across pretty much every country in the world, including China. You name it, you can connect, you can navigate, you can communicate. It has just become a fundamental tool of the modern world. And 2020 is around the corner. It's coming next year. Well, in next month will be 2020. And we live in a science fiction world where the ability to communicate, the ability to connect, the Internet of Things, all of this is happening right now. Our our government and most of our state organizations are always talking about the fourth industrial revolution. Well, sad news. It's it's, it's a total buzzword. As far as I'm concerned, we have been living the fourth industrial revolution for the past 10 years. It might have been fairly low-key. It might have been fairly low-scale. But the simple fact that traffic lights have a SIM card in them to switch them on and off – um, ostriches running around farms in the free state Had the same thing So many other ways of connecting and communicating And so many machine to machine connections That have grown over the last 10 years Indicates that we've been living the fourth industrial revolution It's not new It's not something that suddenly popped out of the air There's no way to get ready for it There's no way to prepare for it The simple fact is We live in a technological society. We live in a world that is full of technology. And technology has shaped the way that we do absolutely everything from buying groceries to waking up in the morning to every fundamental aspect of our lives. Technology plays a part at some level or another. And what has been happening over the last couple of years I believe that the government has found an incredible easy scapegoat in two big companies. That was Vodacom and MTN. The mobile networks were, have been painted into a picture, into a position whereby they're seen as the big bad ogres who are quietly ripping off the public, um, overcharging them, creating enormous monopolies and super profiteering from the, the poor unsuspecting Unable to do anything else masses out in the country, so when um, the competition commission i mean the whole data must fall um, a debacle that has been unfolding over the last couple of years when finally the competition commission got into this got involved in this whole thing and released their preliminary findings, saying that data is hugely overpriced and there needs to be some intervention in the market, well, the general popular um, refrain was good. It, it, it was well-deserved, and it had to be done. Well, now, finally, the um, Competition Commission has come out and laid their credentials on the table and made the following recommendations. One, Vodacom and MTN must independently reach agreement with the Commission on substantial and immediate reductions of tariff levels, especially prepaid monthly bundles, within two months of the release of the report. Two months from yesterday, over Christmas, New Year, Hanukkah—call it what you will—the biggest holiday period in the country. Most people. So by the beginning of February 2020, this agreement must be in place. I'll comment more on that in a few minutes. Um, but the preliminary evidence suggests that there is scope for price reductions, stop, it, Greg, in the region of thirty to fifty percent, which is absolutely insane can you imagine any business cutting between 30 and 50% of their turnover or revenue sorry not turnover revenue by 30 to 50% within 2 months and still remaining in business and we're talking about scale here of the multiple billions of rand so the first and most important point here is that the Competition Commission have instructed MTN and Vodacom to do something that is physically, practically, and absolutely in every business sense impossible. You cannot tell any commercial business to cut its revenue in the billions by 30 to 40 percent, which is a net drop of somewhere in the region of 20 to 25 percent of their revenue in the space of 60 days over a holiday period period. It doesn't matter which way you look at it, it cannot happen, it's not possible. And why instruct someone to do something that you know cannot happen under any circumstances? One, you would essentially remove that the amounts they are talking about. And I haven't done the maths, but I've looked at their financial reports. The amounts they're talking about would instantly make Vodacom and MTN loss-making institutions under the current circumstances. So imagine you're taking a company that pays billions of rands in taxes, employs tens of thousands of people across the country, enables telecommunications that are absolutely critical to the fundamental operation of, um, we have 135 million people using mobile or connections in South Africa using mobile telecommunications in this country. And those two companies must well in fact not even those two companies, Celsi, which is in financial difficulty as we speak, and Telcom, which is fairly marginal in the in the space, must do the same thing. So it's not just Vodacom and MTN that must cut their their, their, their data prices. The entire industry must cut their data prices. Also, from a purely practical point of view, every tariff adjustment has to be submitted to MTN, uh, submitted to ECASA for verification and ratification and approval before it can be implemented. So, practically speaking, and that takes in the region of six weeks, even if they worked flat out, the time to do it to prepare these submissions in a way that makes sense, the time to negotiate these tariffs with the Competition Commission, and I'm sure they're all going on holiday in the next week or two, then the application to ECASA and the toing and froing that goes there. It's physically and practically impossible to implement any tariffs. So despite the popular hype, data is not going to fall by thirty to fifty percent in two months, no matter what the Competition Commission says. Then They got into a whole complicated story. I'm not even going to read this to you because it makes absolutely no sense. The one area that I do absolutely agree with the Competition Commission and the networks are remiss and have been for many, many years is the fact that when you buy data on prepaid ad hoc, the cost is up to a rand a megabyte, which is in today's day – An age is absolutely horrendously expensive. If you buy bundles, those bundles are a lot cheaper than a random megabyte. But small bundles in the region of 100 to 500 megabytes are sometimes multiples of 10 times more expensive than bundles if you buy 5, 10, 15, 20 gigs. So at 20 gigs, you're paying a couple of cents, 12, 7, 8, 10 cents a megabyte. And at 500 megs, when you're paying 45 rand, you're paying pretty much close to a random megabyte. So that differential honestly should be evened out, and I absolutely agree with the Competition Commission on that one point, that evening out low-cost bundles, a meg of data is a meg of data, a gig of data is a gig of data. It should have a very um, flat structure, and you should be able to consume it and use it at a very standard rate, whatever that rate may be, going forward and I believe that's something that the networks are aware of they've left it too long and if anything um, they say that they have competitions and they have uh, not competitions they have uh, promotions and they have all sorts of ways of giving the actual data at a far lower price and successfully most people in fact Vodacom mentioned in their results that most people they have managed to get most prepaid users onto some form of bundle which brings the data costs right down so the effective data Data cost is very low on average. I believe that's just needlessly complicated. And if the the average data costs are low anyway, simplify the whole thing. Make it a flat rate um, for 100 megabytes or 200 megabytes or up to a gig, and then you can tier it to some extent. But the gap and the the difference between untiered or the unbundled data and the cost of data in low tiers and the cost of data in high tiers needs to even out. And I think. On average, if they are doing it, uh, if they have brought the data down, which they actually have, then make it clearer, make it simpler, and remove a major weapon that the um, the government has against the networks to clean that up. The second thing is um, they mentioned that, well, that's part of the whole partitioning thing. That's the price agreement. But here things get even more exciting. They've instructed the mobile operators to reach agreement with the commission within three months, again, over the holiday period, to offer all prepaid subscribers, and I love this word, word, a lifeline package of daily free data to ensure all citizens have data access on a continual basis, regardless of their income levels. The amount of free data must still be determined, but must be sufficient to ensure each citizen's participation in the online economy and society. And it will be adjusted upwards annually. So now let's do the maths. 135 million connections, of which round about 20%, or call it, yeah, call it 20%. So, 6, six uh, 26, call it 30 million. 30 million of those are prepa, are postpaid, not prepaid. So you're talking close to 100 million subs- postpaid or prepaid subscribers out there who must each get a set amount of data Every single day, ad infinitum, with no limit or no cap. We're talking about a terabyte of data every day for free to citizens of South Africa. But here's where it gets again completely impossible to do. One, what what is the story about emergency or critical data or or, or, or however you want to package or lifeline package of data? Data's data. When you've used up your data, it's finished and. Take a 15-year-old a person who loves YouTube to them and loves communicating on on Instagram or whatever their new platforms are out there. Take those things. And an average YouTube video is a, is a, is a, is a couple of megabytes of data every time you watch it. So if you watch 10 YouTube videos, it's critical that you have access to that. But then when you've used up your data, you've used up your data. How can you... Differentiate between emergency critical uh, data enough to participate in the online economy and society. Um, There's absolutely no practical way to work out what's enough data. For me, five gig a month is barely enough data. To you, meg a hundred mega month is is more than sufficient. To someone else. 10 gigabytes of data is absolutely critical to your functioning in modern society. There's absolutely no way that this can be figured out in any sort of commercially viable way. And that's where, again, it absolutely falls flat. Why would, I mean, MTN, Vodacom, Celsi, and Telcom are not charities. They employ people. They have massive costs. How do you instruct them to give away billions of rands of of Pure profit, after slashing their prices by 50%, they must then continue to give away a couple of billion rand a month in free data to every single subscriber on a basis to be determined by a third party. That is not the way a market economy works. That's not the way that any country can do that. There is a mechanism for this. The mechanism is very simple. The mechanism is a government grant. Give every person a government grant to cover their basic living needs, food, electricity, housing, and data. That is a way to do it, and then work with the economy and, in general, grow the economy to give everyone a decent job and get them to the point where they can afford what the data is. One of the other fundamental and faulty conclusions of the whole thing, very simply, and I can see we're running out of, out of time, so I'm going to speed this up. One of the major reasons that the costs of data have, and, and on the show, and you can go to my podcasts and you can read about it, I said last year that if the government gives the necessary spectrum to the mobile networks, as soon as possible, the price of data will drop 40 to 50%, and therein lies the rub. Government is is vilifying the very people they're not assisting to do the very thing that everybody agrees needs to be done. Cost of data has got to become has got to come down. But one of the key critical issues in reducing the cost of data, the allocation of spectrum, has not been done. MTN and Vodacom have got the same spectrum they got in in the 90s when they first started. They've had to go to their Ericsson, to Huawei, to come up with amazingly clever ways to refarm and repackage their spectrum to allow 4G networks to grow to the level that they are in this country. And again, you can't compare us to Africa. We have. 90% 90% plus 4G coverage across the continent, and it has become a major, major uh, challenge. Now, unfortunately, we have to have a quick break for our sponsors now, but I'll be back with a little summary and a little wrap-up of just how fundamentally problematic this is and what the impact of this on you and I and the industry um, going forward is straight after this break. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And I must tell you, you can hear I'm quite passionate about this whole thing. But I believe there are fundamental problems for the country. There seems to be a political agenda, a centrist agenda, almost a socialist agenda to try to control absolutely everything. There was a lot more in the report. One of the other things they've instructed the networks to Break, to accountingly upset their business and break it into two parts, wholesale and retail, where they can manage and tell them, number one, they're telling them how much they can sell data for, and number two, they're going to try to manage the whole, wholesale environment because now the networks have to give, MTN and Vodacom, have to give wholesale access to their networks at a predetermined cost-plus price, again, to be arranged with the Competition Commission. Now, Unfortunately, mobile networks don't work that way. It's not like telecom where you had a fixed network running around with wires and that, and you could separate things out. And here they're telling mobile networks, which are fully integrated, fully um, connected businesses on all levels, to suddenly make their networks available. And yet it's actually been happening. CELSI are roaming on MTN's network on quite a substantial way at a price that makes MTN quite competitive. Telkom is roaming on Vodacom's network on the same basis. And here's the thing. MTN and Vodacom are investing 50 billion rand in the next five years each on mobile networks. Where's that money going to come from? It's got to come from a return on investment. It's got to come from making profits. And here the government is saying to the guys, sorry, you can't make profits. You've got to give away all your profits in free data. And yet at the same time, you've got to completely rebuild your network for the fourth industrial revolution, read 5G. And Rebuilt the entire network, spend billions of dollars, not rands, billions of dollars to do so without the spectrum. They don't have spectrum yet to roll out 5G, and that's why South Africa, for once, we were the first with 4G, we were the first with 3G, we were one of the first with 2G GSM, and here we sit in the 5G world where we are so far behind we are going to miss the entire revolution. We might be useful or we, or we might be ready for the, the next wave, which is 6G, which will start sometime in 2024, 2025. 5G will be fully rolled out in the next two to three years globally. And here we sit without one major announcement from one of our major networks or any of even our minor mobile networks on 5G. So the impact of this is that very simply, the price of data will not fall. I do believe the networks will make some adjustments at their lower end packages to accommodate the the, the less fortunate in our society, but that is not going to change anything. MTN has already um, launched the first shot. They've announced publicly that they are going to vigorously resist this. They do not agree with the the um, findings and. On on another note, the competition commission, having despite having announced the results, still hasn't made the full report available. So how the networks, uh, a couple of days after the announcement, still haven't had time to look at the report and to come back with a response. So They've given them no time. They haven't given them all the information. They've made radical recommendations that far outstrip their ability to do so because this market is regulated by ECASA. ECASA has to issue the regulations to the networks, not the competition commission. Um, so it is unfortunately a fundamentally problematic thing. What is the net effect? The networks are going to have to agree with the competition commission for more time, If they do not get more time, they're going to be in urgent court within the next two weeks asking for the whole thing to be set aside pending a proper review, which will then delay things even further. And they will probably, and the other massive implication, the networks have lost over 20 billion rand in value over the last two days because of this. The, the stock, they're all public listed entities, telecom, Celsi through Blue Blue Label, MTN and Vodacom have collectively lost over 20 billion Rand because investors can see this as a major problem. Investors only invest in a company to make profits. If there are going to be no profits, investors will invest elsewhere. So 20 billion rand has been wiped off the the market in the space of two days because of this, and we expect nothing further. And what might and very probably will happen is that all the networks will immediately put a hold on any capital expenditure, multiple billions of rands for the next couple of years. Until there's some certainty in the market. Why would you go and spend enormous amounts of money if you cannot work out any return on that money? You don't throw it. They're not a charity. They don't exist for the good. Excuse me. Um, they do not exist for the good of society at large. That's government's job. The government is supposed to create the environment and take our hard-earned taxpayers' money and create an environment of certainty, security, safety, and, and good services, not commercial companies like MTN and Vodacom, and yet the the indications are that the Competition Commission has seen it that way, and here we sit in a position where there could be major disruption to two huge and fundamental um, industries in the country, and it's terribly, it might feel like good news, data must fall, but I can tell you now the long-term implications are dire. We're going to miss Potentially the 5G revolution. The cost of data ultimately will go up. The cost of telecommunications ultimately go up. And what is worse, the service, the quality of service that we get, which right now in South Africa is world class, will probably go down Dramatically, as the networks stop investing in their networks, stop spending money here. There's opportunities in Africa and Ethiopia which are much more business-friendly. There's opportunities across the world that are much more investor-friendly. And why should people invest money and waste their time putting it into something where you have to give it away for free and charge completely managed prices for something that there's absolutely no commercial reason to do? So stay tuned. I do believe this is going to be a huge, huge challenge for the country and I think we're going to see some massive uh, implications down the road. The only people that are having a party right now are all the lawyers because this is going to be in court quicker than you can say ABC. Anyway, on that note, sorry to be such a, a dampener of spirits but technology mobile phones everything runs so well on these things and it's just a real pity that we are sitting um, in this position at this time at a critical juncture in our country's uh, future so we're going to have to take another quick break for our sponsors and i'll be back with a quick review of the Samsung Galaxy A30s which is a great mid-range phone that sells below 5000 rand and a quick tip for the holidays if you're travelling out of the country and you have an iPhone where you can get excellent uh, connectivity at a reasonable price. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And I've had fun in the last few weeks playing with something called the Samsung Galaxy A30s, which connects to those mobile networks I was talking to you about. But anyway, the A30s is part of the A series, and it's probably the best bargain ...of the entire series. It looks and feels like a high-end phone. It has a metal frame. It has a, a, a plastic back, but they've done an amazing job of making it look expensive, and it feels good. It's got a solid, very, very high-profile, beautifully finished feel, and it actually looks and feels like a flagship design. It has a slight teardrop notch on the Super AMOLED screen, which, again, at this price range, under 5,000 Rand, between 3, nine and 4, nine, depending on where you get it, is pretty unusual, and also has a fingerprint, underscreen fingerprint reader, which proved to be really quite a good one. I've tried some others that have not been quite as accurate and easy to use as this one, but it has all the attributes of a high-end device, including a triple camera on the rear. It comes with 4GB of RAM, 128GB of internal storage, and a, a custom processor, an Exynos Samsung processor which makes it really speedy and I've played with a lot of mid-range phones in these sort of price ranges and I must say that I think this is one of the best that I've played with one it looks the part it doesn't look like an inexpensive mid-range phone it doesn't feel like an inexpensive mid-range phone the they've saved money in clever ways the screen is fairly low resolution which is fine. It's bright enough and sharp enough for 99% of uses. They've used its USB-C for charging, but they've used a lower-spec USB-C, so it's not super fast. But what they've done is actually pinned down the most important features of a a mid-range phone. The cameras are excellent. They're very high high spec. So it's a 25-megapixel primary camera, an 8-megapixel ultra-wide camera, and a 5-megapixel depth camera. It's got a the 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 5-megapixel the, the depth camera gives really professional-looking bokeh effects and portrait mode features. And I must say, in use, for the average, unless you're trying really dark situations, the pictures I took with this camera were really right up there. They were sharp, colorful, lacking a little detail, but for the price, it's well within um, the price range. It's well within the quality versus price range. And was very quick, which was really interesting. It's got AI features, as they call it, or machine learning, which optimizes the picture for different scenarios. And I must say, in general, it worked really well. And what Samsung have done with their One UI, it's running the latest version 9. 10 is out, should come in a little while. But their One UI looks a lot like stock Android. It's very clean. It removes the clutter. It is pretty fluid across Most uses. And as I said, for most daily uses, the odd game, all social networking, browsing the web, taking photos, navigating. Again, slight compromises on the number of, of, of GPS systems it can use. But again, I found it pretty accurate. Not as good as their flagship uh, devices, but for general navigation, using ways around the country, excellent. Excellent um, quality. The one we tested was the Casper Niovest Special Edition. And it comes with about 100 wake-up messages recorded by Niovest, if you're keen on that, on the alarm clock function. But essentially, the recommended retail prices, $4899, as I said, I've seen it on the web at as low as three triple nine. And the combination of high-end features, the construction, underscreen fingerprint reader, um, the triple camera on the rear, the bright, clear AMOLED screen, the 4,000 milliamp battery. I must tell you, I got easily two days out of it. It's got 15-watt, relatively fast-charging. Um, to put that in perspective, in the good old days, most charges were under five watts, so it charges three times faster than older phones, and it just is a very, very capable device. So, if you're looking for a mid-range device that pretty much ticks all the boxes, it really does an exceptional job. I highly recommend the Galaxy, the Samsung Galaxy A30s. It's just been released. It's available pretty much everywhere, and uh, it's it's a very capable very easy-to-live-with device, and it's super competitive to everything else. Don't forget the Samsung ecosystem, the repair systems. Um, I think Samsung Pays available. There's just so many ways that this phone ticks all the right boxes and gives you uh, a solid device at a price that's actually very, very, very hard to beat. Now, my last recommendation, I can see I'm being chased out of studio very quickly. If you're traveling overseas, anytime in the no, next month, and it's probably pretty common despite our wonderful economy. A lot of people are going to be doing so, and you need connectivity, and you've got an iPhone X, um, XS, XS Max, XR, or the latest iPhone 11 series across the entire range, and you can use eSIMs. I highly recommend no-roaming eSIMs for traveling. They're simple. You you go online. You buy your, your package. They they specific. They burner SIMs. So you could buy a specific package. There's one for Europe and America. There's one for specific countries. There's one for the East. And all you do is you download it uh, on your on. You get an email with a QR code. You scan the QR code. Your phone instantly recognises the SIM, sets itself up and when you go overseas you turn it on and you have instant access to data your main number remains active or not that's your choice but really follow the instructions so look at dot roamingcom and uh, it's it's Pretty reasonable, still cheaper to buy some SIM in a country you're going to. But here you can pre-buy it in South Africa. You can load it up on your phone. They did run a bit of a special over Black Friday, uh, uh, Cyber Monday. It might still be running. I haven't checked. But it's just a great way to be ready for action when you land wherever you're going and be instantly connected to a data set Wherever you go, so on that note, um, I have to bid you farewell till next week, same place, same time. Tune in for the latest updates. I think there's going to be exciting stuff coming in the next week on the tech world. This is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk right here on High FM.